Well, this is your opportunity. If your job is going to be taken away anyway, why don't you live and breathe into your dream? This is our time. On the other side of this dark cloud, I believe, is some form of a promised land, a new awakening of smarter people that will never be fooled like this again. That that got me hyped up. That got me hyped up for this episode because I am, as I've mentioned for the past few weeks, seeing this as a relaunch of sorts of my show, my Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire show. You could be hearing it on the Lions of Liberty Network feed. You could also subscribe to my feed, Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire, whichever you prefer. But either way, you're going to keep hearing this amazing new theme song from my man, John Page, who produced this killer track, which I really think captures the fire, the fury that I want to go into this new little relaunch with. Everybody you hear on the show, every guest in my eyes is going to be a real lion, someone who's out there seizing their own future, not just letting the world happen around them. And my guest today certainly fits that bill. But first, I do want to tell you about another great podcast. This is a good friend of mine who I've gotten to know over the years. He is an author. He is also a podcaster. He does a show called The Independent Riot. You want to check it out on YouTube. You can, of course, find it on Podcatchers. And Jim brings on some true experts. He even had myself on, speaking of experts, but he has some real experts on a ton of fascinating topics, such as the deep state, the history of the CIA. He did an amazing show on a Chinese surveillance and organ harvesting. The Independent Riot, basically, you can think of it like Alex Jones, but with a lot more thinking and a bit less screaming. So check out The Independent Riot on YouTube and Podcatchers. With that being said, I am so very excited to start this new era of Lions of Liberty with today's guest, let's get roaring, baby. My guest today is a former producer on The Doctors. He has since become an activist in regards to medical freedom and vaccine safety. Uh, he produced the documentary Vaxed, From Cover-Up to Catastrophe. He is the CEO of the Informed Consent Action Network, as well as the host of The High Wire. I am very honored to welcome Dell Bigtree. Dell, are you ready to roar? I am ready to roar. Let's do this. <laughs> I had a feeling you would be, Dell, because you've been roaring uh, specifically about this issue, this issue for quite some time now. So uh, before we dig into kind of the history of vaccines a little bit here, and of course, we'll be talking about the COVID vaccines as well. I want to get to know you a little bit better. So maybe you could just go through some of your history, how you, how you found yourself uh, as a producer on The Doctors, and just when did this vaccine issue first come on your radar? You know, I sort of was one of those guys that was in Hollywood pursuing a film career, and as fate would have it, I ended up being a... Uh, uh, I had a friend that asked me one day, you know, you know how to shoot camera and everything. Can you come help us with the Dr. Phil show? I was like, yeah, all right, sure. Uh, and that started me on a path in a career that I had not expected. Um, I spent about three or four years uh, working on the Dr. Phil show as a producer, a uh, field producer flying out and interviewing, you know, all these crazy stories all over the country. And then Dr. Phil and his son created the show, The Doctors, 
I sort of helped uh, with that from the ground up. And then uh, when that went live, I moved over to the doctors. And I spent about six years uh, on that show. It was a great experience celebrating the best that science and medicine has to offer. Um, you know, interviewing the best surgeons in the world, new cutting edge techniques, new technologies. It was really exciting. I won an Emmy Award doing that work. Um, and for people that maybe don't know how like a, a show like that works, there's about seven producing teams uh, that, you know, produce about seven shows per week. And then you sort of stack up about 170 episodes for the year over the course of about eight or nine months. I was one of those producers. I, I led a team. Um, and if you ask the, the company lawyer, uh, you know, who cost the company more money, it was probably me, uh, just because <laughs> I tended to do a little bit more controversial issues. I had never expected to end up in daytime talk and perhaps, you know, I, I you know, didn't like the shackles of that. So I really pushed the envelope there on the types of stories most people would see. So I was always challenging industry, wherever there's billions of dollars to be made, I tend to be skeptical that it's in the best interest of the people. So I did stories like, you know, when uh, Monsanto's uh, herbicide uh, glyphosate roundup, but glyphosate, the chemical, when the WHO ruled that that was probably carcinogenic to human beings, which is the second highest cancer ruling there is, just one step down from it does cause cancer. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I reached out to Monsanto, said, do you want to send a scientist to uh, defend your product. They said they did. I was shocked. I'd never seen someone from Monsanto on television. Then I brought in GMO activist Jeffrey Smith, who'd written a lot of books about glyphosate and had this powerful debate on the show in the middle of the day. So those were the types of stories I would do. Um, drummed up a lot of controversy. But because of that, I had inside sources of the CDC and the FDA and, and cutting edge doctors and scientists that weren't afraid to challenge the system either. And because of that, I had a source that reached out to me one day and said, Dell, remember a year ago when we were having a conversation about vaccines and autism and you said that the doctors would never cover that? I said, yeah. And I had said to him, you know, a year prior, because it was something he was interested in, wasn't the story we were doing at the time. I said, look, if anything ever big changes on that conversation, certainly let me know. I'm not afraid of it. I just know that we're pretty entrenched in the idea that vaccines don't cause autism. Vaccines are safe and effective. So something big would have to happen for me to try to challenge that inside of the structure of our show. So he called me a year later. And he said, well, there's going to be a whistleblower inside the CDC that's going to come forward in about two weeks and say that they're committing scientific fraud on the vaccine safety studies. Uh, the scientist's name was Dr. William Thompson. And um, so I said, OK, thanks for the heads up. I, of course, went and pitched it to my executive producers. I said, this might be the biggest story of my lifetime. If it proves to be true that there's really a CDC uh, scientist uh, that is going to say that they're committing scientific fraud on the vaccine safety studies, That's there's nothing bigger than that. I mean, that is going to change this conversation forever. My executive producers, though, they usually let me do what I wanted to do. In that case, they said, Dell, we're not going to piss off the CDC that allows us, you know, backstage every time there's a flu outbreak. We're certainly not going to attack a Merck product, you know, like um, the MMR vaccine, which was at the center of this conversation. You know, they they we we do interstitials for them. We're advertising for them, and they were that open about it with you. They really said, "No, we're not going to talk against Merck because they pay us money." Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah they're just like, "Come on, don't be <laughs> don't be ridiculous," you know. Um, and so, and I wasn't shocked by that, but deep down, I thought this. I thought, you know what? If this story is real, and I sort of had to jump on it, and one of the things you want to do with an executive producer, just say, "Hey, if this ends up being a really big story, I want you to know I brought it to you first. Like I'm out there." I'm finding the stories. I've got the contacts. And I said to them, 
look, I think this is going to be a big story, and I brought it to you first. But I was thinking, if you know, if CNN and Fox and all these other you know networks cover it, then I'll at least be able to go back to my producers and say, okay, now that this is a national story or perhaps an international story, can we give the doctor's take on it? Let me you know take a crack at this. So I figured I'd get a second shot at it. Well, that never happened. Because even though this whistleblower came forward and there was this interview online where he was saying things like, I can't believe we did what we did. Every time I see a child with autism, I feel guilty. We hid statistically significant information from the public. Um, nobody covered it. Not CNN, not Fox. In fact, CNN had a an eye report where you know anybody could just put things on the website saying, here's what's happening in my area or a story I'm interested in. Uh, they put up that whistleblower's comments and sort of part of this interview and CNN immediately took it down. And in that moment, I realized not only is the doctor's television show being produced by the pharmaceutical industry in many ways, all of television must be. And so that started me on an investigation. And of course, I went on to pursue that story. I made a documentary about the whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson, called Vax, which you talk about, uh, which I think... Um, a lot of people would say ignited this conversation about vaccine risk awareness is what I call it. I, I don't like the pejorative anti-vax, but I think that we should all be aware that vaccines do harm, can harm. The question is how many children, how many people, what's acceptable? And that's the investigation I've been on ever since I put that, that um, documentary out back in April of 2016. Um, and then since then, I wanted to pursue more of the conversation. You know, one of the things about Vaxxed was it was only about the whistleblower, one study, the MMR study, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine being studied by the CDC, trying to figure out if it caused autism. So as we're traveling with this film about a huge fraud that took place inside of the CDC, they manipulated the data, change, you know, basically kick kids off the study to hide the fact that the vaccine was causing autism or that what they believed was it was really looked like a very strong causal relationship. Um, and so when I was traveling with the film, people would come up to me afterwards and say, wow, well, I'm definitely not touching the MMR. That one's scary. But the rest of the vaccines are OK. Right. And I didn't really have an answer for that. What I did know is that people were coming up to us after the, every screening. We were doing a Q&A after every screening for almost a year. I toured with that film and people would come up and say, I want to tell my story now that it's out there. And so we were hearing stories about children that had died after a flu shot. You know, my my daughter, who is a star athlete, has been paralyzed ever since her Gardasil HPV vaccine. Or our child has autism, but we never got to the MMR vaccine. Our child regressed into autism after the DTaP, the diphtheria, tetanus, and acellular pertussis vaccine. And so because I was hearing all of those stories, I realized this has got to be more than just the MMR vaccine. And so I started my nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network. I brought in, I think, arguably the greatest lawyer in the world when it comes to um, the science around vaccines and health freedom. Probably, I think he'll go down in history as one of the great constitutional lawyers of our time, Aaron Siri, um, because the issue was you can't sue the manufacturer for a vaccine injury. This is because of protections that were established by our government in the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Basically, the pharmaceutical institutions uh, blackmailed Ronald Reagan. They said, basically, we are losing so much money 
from lawsuits for death and injury from the vaccine arm of our work that we cannot make a profit. So if you want us to make vaccines, you're going to have to protect us from liability. And so Ronald Reagan hated the idea, but went along with it because he just didn't want to see a world without vaccinations. And so at that moment, we gave the pharmaceutical industry protections that no other industry has. We destroyed the market forces that would force them to make better products. They no longer had to do proper safety studies. But because of that, the liability went on to the government. Our own Health and Human Services Department decided to take on the liability. So most lawyers up until that moment that I, you know, that I'd met said, you can't sue anybody. It's totally protected. There's nothing we can do. When I met Aaron Siri, he said, well, you know, when I look at it, there is someone we can sue. We can sue the government since they took on the liability and see if they are making this, the product safer. And so we took that strategy and we've won lawsuits against the CDC, the FDA, Health and Human Services, the National Institute of Health, multiple cases. We have cases right now against the FDA that's trying to block all of the data coming from Pfizer. You know, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of pages of data that they don't want the public to see. Um, Aaron Siri just won a lawsuit representing a bunch of scientists on that. So it's that type of discovery that we've been involved in. And from that, I, you know, lastly, I'm going to finish up this fairly long opening. Uh, but I realized that, you know, we've got this powerful legal team. We're winning lawsuits. But if a lawsuit wins in the forest and no one is there to see it, did it really happen? We have none of the media on our side. And so because of that, I decided to create my own show, The Highwire, at thehighwire.com, so we could, you know, show the world the lawsuits we're winning, show them what our investigations were discovering all around the world when it came to vaccine safety. And now that show, I think, is the fastest growing um, show in the Internet space when it comes to natural health. Uh, and over COVID, which really, you know, lit us on fire, we went from, you know, tens to 100,000 views per show. Now we're doing somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half million views every week of our show. And that's without having the luxury of being on YouTube. Of course, you were summarily removed as, as a, Correct. Any, anybody who speaks enough truth will will eventually, they're, they're, you know, and that's kind of one silver lining. I think I would see of this, of the COVID, you know, COVID vaccines and everything is that this, the idea that people are getting injured by vaccines is really really out there now and people are seeing it. The unfortunate side of that is that it's because so many people are, are getting injured. Um, we'll dig more into that in a minute, but I want to kind of go back. Um, I really want to touch on something that, you know, whenever the, the first thing you were talking about with the MMR vaccine and the relation to autism, that's one of those things that anytime you see it, it's one of those things that's immediately debunked as I'm sure a term you hear all the time. Uh, that's it refers to the Andrew Wakefield study. That was kind of where this thing started. And yeah. whenever you read about it, it says the debunked Andrew Wakefield study. Can you touch on that a bit? And and um, you know, sure. tell us more about why we should not necessarily think that that is per se debunked. To begin with, so people that maybe haven't seen Vax, Andrew Wakefield, who is the doctor that first really connected the MR, MMR vaccine and autism. Uh, we always hear about that fraudulent doctor that lost his license. To be very clear, Andrew Wakefield had already started the documentary about the CDC whistleblower. When I met him, I teamed up with him. And so I produced Vax. Andrew Wakefield is the director of Vax, just so you know where I'm coming from. Now, I want to point out that I had I was an Emmy winning CBS producer working at Paramount Studios when I decided to leave and help him with Vax. So let me be perfectly clear. The very first thing I realized is I am about to align myself 
with probably the most controversial figure in the world when it comes to medicine. In fact, there are textbooks that in the textbook, when it describes medical fraud, has Andy Wakefield as the example. Okay, so this is no joke. And I, I, I said, if I'm going to do this, I mean, I looked at the evidence that he had. But I said, certainly, I've got to see what this story is about him. And so I did my own investigation into what happened with Andy Wakefield. And we could obviously spend, you know, hours and hours in the details. But let me sort of use this as the best way to explain it. When I was looking it up, there was an investigation. In fact, there one of the things that people don't realize is that we hear Andy Wakefield put together a fraudulent study using fraudulent data, manipulated children's stories. It was only 12 kids in that study, you know, yada, yada. And it's true, the paper was retracted. The famous Lancet paper was retracted. But here's what people don't know. Number one, and I didn't know, it wasn't just Andy Wakefield. Andy Wakefield was one of the doctors, but there was 12 world-renowned doctors and scientists that had signed their name onto that paper, which I found shocking right away. I thought, wow, how does a guy commit fraud and get 12, you know, 11 other world-renowned scientists and doctors to be a part of that study? Didn't they see the data? How did they not know it was manipulated? That's the type of question a journalist asks. Then as I investigated, I realized he wasn't the only one that lost his license. In fact, there was the other sort of leads of the study who we never hear about, Professor John Walker Smith. So Andrew Wakefield and Professor John Walker Smith both lost their licenses because of this study. Well, if you look up um, uh, Professor John Walker Smith, um, and I think if, if you just type in the exoneration of Professor John Walker Smith, I haven't done it for a while. Maybe the Internet has erased it. But what you will see is about an 80 page document by a judge because John Walker Smith, he uh, protested and, and uh, appealed his license being taken away. And there's an 80 page write up by the judge when Professor John Walker Smith won the case. And so here is what the case really relied on. That, to be perfectly clear, there was not a single courtroom in this world that ever proved that Andy Wakefield committed fraud or that Professor John Walker Smith um, uh, staged a fraud. The only thing that the General Medical Council, which wasn't really a court, it was sort of the... the um, the, the trade sort of like RAMA or something like that is their medical professional board. What they had determined was it was medical malpractice. And that's why these two gentlemen lost their license. Well, the study was around 12 kids. Andy Wakefield got approached by a mother is how this all began uh, that said, you know, I was reading your study and Andy Wakefield had been published, I think over 170 published journal uh, papers and peer-reviewed studies on Crohn's disease. And what he had discovered was that having measles, if you didn't clear measles from your body as an adult, it could stay in the gut and cause Crohn's disease. He was the first one ever attached the measles virus and Crohn's disease in a very famous study. So this mother reached out and she said, I was reading your paper and you're describing very much what looks like the symptoms that my child has. He's autistic. And Andy Wakefield said, well, I don't know anything about autism. I'm a, I'm a gastroenterologist. She says, I know, but I'd like you to look at him to see if he's suffering from the same thing in his stomach that you described. And so Andy said, all right, bring your child over. Well, sure enough, in the beginning of that, he started recognizing this appears to be some sort of uh, you know, colitis, Crohn's disease in a very young child. And the mother said it started right after he developed autism. 
So they put together a study of 12 kids that had similar stories. This is how this went. Now, here's what the judge ultimately in the exoneration of John Walker Smith said. It came down to two terms. These two leading doctors had another, you know, 10 other scientists working with them. But when we looked at these children or when they looked at these children, there's two terms. Was it clinical investigation or uh, medical uh, research? Clinical investigation or medical research? And here's what happened. If it's clinical investigation, that description means a doctor takes on a patient, does investigations in that patient, colonoscopies, spinal taps. What we will hear that Andy Wakefield performed, you know, invasive, you know, uh, uh, intruding uh, procedures on handicapped children, as though he was like abusing them or something. But remember, they have they have a they have a stomach issue where they're either you know, constipated for weeks on end, or they would have diarrhea that was like bleach that was burning the skin off of their bodies. This was the descriptions by the parents. And so in order to figure out what's going on there, they had to do colonoscopies. They did spinal taps because it was autism. What was the mental connection to the gut? Well, here's what was determined by the General Medical Council. They said that the only thing happening with these 12 kids was medical research, meaning you were doing these invasive procedures on these children and you were not concerned with healing them. Medical research, meaning you were doing that investigation only for the good of the public, but not for the good of the patient. Therefore, if that's the case, you needed ethical approval to do those colonoscopies and those endoscopies and things like that that you were doing. You needed medical approval from the board of that hospital. In this case, it was the Royal Free Hospital. Now, had you treated those children, then it's clinical investigation, which means you're doing that to help the child. And if you're doing that, then you don't need you know, um, ethical approval from the board. Well, in the end, with the judge, when he finally got in, after these guys had lost their license and John Walker Smith appealed, John Walker Smith showed that not only did he treat these children with what he was learning by the biopsies and by the, the, the colonoscopies, he treated them for years after the study was over. And so the judge ruled this was never clinical invest. I mean, this was never medical research. It was always clinical investigation. And all Andy Wakefield did was stand behind him and write what he was learning as he was treating his patients. Therefore, neither of these guys should have ever lost their license for medical malpractice. There is no proof that a fraud took place. The great fraud was the General Medical Council taking these guys' license. Why? Because they were about to lose funding from the pharmaceutical industry to their school that wanted to push, and this is the problem we see all over the world. Every time a doctor or a scientist comes out and says, I have some discoveries about the vaccine program, and by the way, Andy didn't consider himself um, anti-vax. What he was saying is this particular vaccine, MMR vaccine, appears to be much more um, dangerous than just getting a measles vaccine by itself, just getting a mumps vaccine by itself, just getting the rubella vaccine by itself. So he said, keep getting your vaccines, just do them separately. Well, they didn't want that. The MMR was about to be the pinnacle of the vaccine program around the world. So they destroyed his career. That is the fact of the matter, and I dare anyone to prove otherwise. That's the evidence that I found and why I decided to work with him. That, that's interesting that, you know, that it's, it's the combination, it seems, at least in the, you know, based on Wakefield's study here, that right. 
that not, not that not actually the separate one. So and that leads me to think like, man, I mean, you can look at the charts of, you know, how many childhood vaccines there were 20, 30 years ago compared to how how many there are now. And that, that leads you to think even if these might be useful in some, you know, on an individual basis, when you smush them all together and toss them into a child's immune system all at once. I mean, what, what more can you tell us about the link between a lot of childhood diseases, immuno, you know, immunocompromised children and just the sheer number of vaccines that are currently being given as opposed to I think when I was a kid, I had like five or six. But now it's something like you can probably you probably know the real number. It's something like 40 something, isn't it? No, no, it's about 72. So, oh, yeah. So that was and all of this was news to me. Right. I did a film about the MMR vaccine. But when I started investigating the safety of vaccines and and let's be clear, I spent about, I'd say, three years after vaxxed looking at one product and one word. We hear that vaccines are safe and effective. I wasn't interested in whether they were effective. I was interested in how did we determine they were safe? Why was I meeting so many parents saying their child died after a vaccine or injured by a vaccine, yet I'm being told vaccines are perfectly safe and perfectly effective? And so we looked at every trial. I I brought together a team of international scientists all around the world that were willing to do this investigation, many of them anonymously, and we started reading every trial that had ever been done every piece of evidence we could find as to the safety of vaccines. And here's what I can tell you. There has never been a single study that looked at the overall health consequences of giving, like you said, multiple vaccines at one time, multiple you know, antigens, different diseases in one vaccine, but we'll give the MMR and a DTaP on the same day. Sometimes we will give between seven and 10 different vaccines to a child on the same day. There has never been a single study that did that to one group of children and gave the other group of children, let's say a saline injection, the world famous double blind placebo study to see which one of them health outcomes fared over the next month or year or two years. That study's never been done. In fact, the Institute of Medicine, which is sort of our Nobel laureates of medicine in the United States of America, did a study looking at all of the vaccine program for that, exactly that to see what had been determined about safety. And what they said is there they could not find a single study anywhere in the world that looked at the overall benefits of the entire vaccine schedule compared to those that had not done it. We call it the vaxxed versus unvaccinated study. It has never been done, certainly not by any health agency. There's some private groups that have done it. And every time they do that study, usually they're ridiculed by the pharmaceutical institutions and the media, which is owned by pharma. But those studies always show a very similar pattern, about four or five times the rate of neurological disorders like autism, about 20 times the rate of allergies, 40 to 60 times the rate of things like asthma in those that receive the vaccines versus those that opt out of the vaccine program. And so one of the things when people say, you know, Dell, why did you get involved in this? I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in the middle of probably the most controversial discussion there is. I wouldn't have destroyed my television career, which is what happens the moment you decide to report on vaccine dangers. If this wasn't the case, when we watched the explosions of the vaccine program, so remember, we took liability away in 1986. We have never done that for any other product. Every other drug that pharma makes, we can sue them for it. That's why you see lawsuits that win against Vioxx or uh, talcum powder. You know, Johnson's baby powder just lost a $3 billion lawsuit because they always knew it had asbestos in it. 
We've seen these stories over and over again. Oxycontin, for instance, we now know is addictive. They knew it was addictive. They lied to the FDA. They lied to the CDC. We're talking about an industry that has killed, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, paid for their murder and still have companies up and running. So here's the deal. When we look at the vaccine program in the 1980s, before we took away liability, as you pointed out, anyone that got in the vaccine program before 1986 got about 10 vaccines in their entire childhood. That exploded the moment we took away liability. There was no fear. They couldn't be sued anymore. And now we're at 72 vaccines, actually 10 shots. 54 shots is what that exploded to, but 72 vaccines because as the MMR, that's three, right? So 72 vaccines now by the time you're 18. In that same time period, when we look at 1986, just prior to the explosion of the vaccine program, we see that chronic illness in our children was about 12.5%. About 12.5% of our children had either a neurological disorder or a lifelong permanent autoimmune disease. 12.5% of all kids in America. Now that that has gone from about 10 vaccines to 54 vaccines, 54 shots, 72 doses, that has exploded from 12.5% chronic illness to now 55% of our children are said to have a lifelong chronic illness, either a neurological disorder or an autoimmune disease. One in four children is leaving elementary school on a drug they will be on the rest of their lives. We have more babies die on the first day of life in the United States of America than all the other 20 other richest nations in the world combined. We are, you're more likely to die before reaching the age of 18 than if you were raised in the 20 other richest nations in the world. So there is something deplorable about the health of our children. And when we look at, for instance, that day one old baby death that's taking place at, at astronomical rates, we're one of the only ones that give a hepatitis B vaccine on the first day of life within the first 24 hours. Hepatitis B, which really is a either a sexually transmitted disease or an intravenous drug use disease. No child can have hepatitis B. And if they're born with it, we would know because we test every mother for that. So, you know, we're giving a baby a vaccine they don't need. And if I want to get in the ingredients very quickly, it has an aluminum load, which is one of the really bad guys of vaccines that we're very worried about. About an aluminum load that is off the Richter scale on what is acceptable in science. We believe that, you know, science will say that you shouldn't consume, eat more than 25 micrograms of aluminum in a day when it comes to a child and their body weight. Well, we're not giving 25 micrograms. And remember, it's not the child eating it. We're injecting it right in their bloodstream. So it's probably even more toxic, not 25 micrograms, not 50 micrograms, not 100 micrograms, not 200 micrograms, but 250 micrograms of aluminum are being injected into a day one old baby whether they're a preemie and they weigh three pounds or they're a big porker and they wear, weigh, weigh 12. This is just the beginning of the insanity that I started uncovering as I looked into this vaccine program. And here's what I have to say lastly. With a decline from 12.5% chronic illness to 54% chronic illness within about 30 years, that is the greatest decline in public health and recorded history. And there may be people that say, well, there's other things to blame, Dell. How do you know it's vaccines? Well, it goes right along the scale with when, as we added more and more vaccines, that rate goes up. But let me say this. 
Maybe it's our food. Maybe it's in tan with it. But people say, well, it could be the food. It could be all the steroids in our meat or, or the antibiotics we're giving cows and, 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 and chickens. Or maybe it's the fluoride in our water. Or maybe it's the you know, toxic chemicals in our food. And I say, look, my nonprofit's investigating all of those things too. And I think they are a giant contributing factor. But here's the point. No matter what it is, everything we just mentioned has been approved and said to be safe by the CDC, by the FDA, by the National Institute of Health. And so those agencies are responsible for this decline in health, whatever we ultimately can prove is doing it. So Tony Fauci and Walensky and you know Francis Collins, these heads of the NIH and NIAID and the CDC, I hold them personally responsible. I think the biggest tragedy of our time is our regulatory agencies are protecting industry that is poisoning us on a daily basis. You know, what a, a lot of people might be listening and, and thinking to themselves like, okay, this, this guy is putting out all this information here. Uh, but if, if what you're saying is true, Dell, why does my doctor still recommend all these vaccines for my child? Sur- surely my doctor couldn't be so misinformed. If everything you're saying is true and it's, it's based on even the data from the FDA and the CDC, then why why do doctors at such a, such a mass scale, obviously there are many who, who disagree, but why do doctors at such a, a large scale seem to support vaccines and, and really just... Por, you know, kind of portray that same line of safe and effective. Yeah. So, you know, it's shocking and it's what makes my job difficult, right? I mean, I'm trying to convince you that you can't trust the best scientists in the world, the FDA, the CDC, the National Institute of Health, that they're actually out to poison you. I mean, I get it. It's a hard pill to swallow. It's been hard for me to accept. But I think we need to use an example because I want to make it clear. I'm not out against doctors. I think doctors mean well for the most part, but they're totally uninformed. And I know it's hard. People are like, who are you? You're a journalist. How can you say a doctor is uninformed? And anytime you look up Del B- your bio, everywhere you look, it'll say Del yeah. Bigtree, who has no medical training. <laughs> right. Who has no medical training, which is, you know, and I agree. I don't. I'm As just if a that journalist. means that you can't, you know, you can't right. know anything. I'm, I'm not supposed to do an investigation. Right. You know, it's like Woodward and Bernstein had never been a president of the United States, but they were pretty sure they understood what, you know, what spying and illegal actions by a president were when they, you know, started writing about Nixon when no one else would. A journalist knows how to ask questions. We know how to do yes. an investigation. And frankly, I've read more medical journals now on vaccines and vaccinology and immune system than I would say 99% of any pediatrician that's out there. If The WHO, I reported on the WHO right before this pandemic started, they had a big meeting in Geneva, Switzerland, and the head of the, uh, the, the WHO sort of clinical psychology department got up and said, let's admit it. Our frontline doctors are really starting to crumble underneath this vaccine discussion because, as we all know, they get less than a half a day education when it comes to vaccines when they're in university. I didn't say that. The head of the WHO said, and that's the case. The only thing doctors really know about vaccines is you put it here. There might be some swelling in the arm. If there's anything worse than that, then send them to the ER. That's it. That is the depth of the understanding. They have no understanding of the immune system. They don't know what's in the vaccine. And I would ask anybody, please, if you... If you're saying Dell's got to be crazy, next time you go to your pediatrician, ask him a really simple question. Just say, could you please list for me all the ingredients in the vaccine you're about to give my child, whether it's a DTaP or a flu shot? And I assure you, everyone that has ever decided to run this test, they will be met with, well, I mean, you know, it's it's got a little bit of flu. No, no, but what are the actual ingredients? Well, I'll have to get the ingredients list for you. 
That should scare the hell out of you. It should scare you that your doctor can't recite those because you're putting them on a pedestal because of the eight years of education that they got and maybe you didn't have. But when you think about it, there's only 16 vaccines in this in the childhood schedule, maybe 17 if we're going to add coronavirus or flu shot that's given in the 72 doses. Remember, we give a bunch over and over again throughout the years because they keep waning and failing. But they only give 16 vaccines, and yet in all that eight-year education, and it's about the only thing your pediatrician does, they weigh them, they measure the head, and they give your kid vaccines. They can't tell you all the, the ingredients in it. And so then when you leave, and you may be a little dismayed, like how is it they don't know what's in it? 16 vaccines, I want you to go to your local restaurant right down the street. And when you sit down, <laughs> I want you to ask your waiter, can you please tell me all the ingredients that are in this dish right here, the 100 dishes? I have an allergy. And you watch a waiter recite every single ingredient in that dish, and they could do it for all 100. I know, I was a waiter for many years. All 100 dishes tell you everything that was in it. So why is it a waiter that we hold down here is able to have a memory of those things and the guy we're handing our baby to without ever, you know, totally trusting them has no idea what's in the product itself. Lastly, when you think of the culture of, uh, of doctors, as I said, they're just as misinformed as we are. They're incredibly busy. I'm not saying, you know, in many ways, it's getting harder and harder for them to get paid. They're stuck in paperwork like crazy for all these insurance systems. They don't have time to do research beyond what they learned in university and who funded the textbooks and who wrote the textbooks in university. The pharmaceutical industry did. And here's proof of what we know. Look at OxyContin. Okay. Now, People will say, you're saying doctors are bad people. I'm not. But OxyContin's a perfect example. OxyContin is, is now leading to the death of between 60,000 and 100,000 people in the United States of America every year because of the addiction it causes. Yet every doctor for dec you know, two, two decades, I forget how long it was out, but decades, a very long time, were, were prescribing OxyContin for pain. And they would say, wow, it sure looks like my patients are getting addicted to it, even though all of my literature says it's not habit-forming. And so what do they do? They go to the CDC's website and they say, what does the CDC says? The CDC says not habit forming safe. Let's go to the FDA. FDA said non-habit forming, it's safe. Well, the FDA actually in 2012, at the height of this addiction issue, not only was not investigating it, they reached out to the pharmaceutical industry and the Sackler family that was making it said, why don't you do a study to see if we can give this to children? The FDA doesn't do that study. The pharmaceutical industry itself did the study. And when they come back, lo and behold, as it turns out, thanks for asking, we think it's safe for 10-year-olds to take this product. Totally not habit-forming. That's what the FDA and the CDC was doing. And so doctors just kept prescribing people into their own eventual suicide. Now, is that the doctor's fault? Or is it the, you know, the health agencies that the doctors consider the Bibles? Those are the priests of their industry. If the CDC says it's safe, it must be safe. If the CDC says vaccines, you know, are the greatest invention of the 20th century, they must be the greatest invention of the 20th century. They do no studies behind that. And that's why I'm different than everyone else. I didn't take that statement for, you know, what it was. I said, if it's safe, prove it. And when we looked at all the safety studies, we discovered this. Not a single childhood vaccine 
ever went through a double-blind, inert placebo study like every other drug we take. Not a single childhood vaccine ever went through longer than a six-month safety study when Grandpa's Viagra had a 10-year placebo study studying people that were taking it for 10 years before it was allowed on the market. That hepatitis B vaccine that has, you know, about a hundred times or 10 times at least the amount of aluminum that could be consumed. You know how long that was tested before we started injecting into children? Not 10 years like uh, Viagra, uh, not even one year, not 10 months, not one month, not one week. The hepatitis B vaccine that's injected into day one old babies went through a four-day safety trial for one of the products and a five-day safety trial for the other product. Literally, and we're suing the FDA right now, saying now that we know that, now that we've proved that's the fact, you've got to remove that vaccine from the schedule because there is no way that you can say that it's safe after a five-day safety trial that, by the way, had no placebo group. So if anybody died, they could say, well, the baby just wasn't healthy because they had no placebo group to compare it to. This is going to prove, and, and I think COVID, and we can get into that, is starting to really out how messed up this system has been. And there's a lot of scientists and doctors that are coming around right now and saying, don't get the COVID vaccine. The trials were too short. It's definitely dangerous from what we're seeing in our clinical review in hospital. But these doctors, I think they're starting to slowly ask questions like, but the other vaccines we give are safe too, right? Mm. Uh, you'll hear a doctor say COVID only was tested for a few weeks or months, but the other vaccines had five years, two years, five years. It's simply not true. It's not true. Our childhood vaccines are the biggest experiment that has ever been on the population. And it's a failing experiment with 55% of our kids permanently sick, I believe, because of vaccines. One thing you mentioned there was the, like the CDC and the FDA being seen by many doctors as sort of the priests. Uh, and I think that's just a, such a good way to look at it. And I think that lets you understand what's going on a lot better when you look at it as a religious fervor. And I think that is a perfect yeah. segue into COVID because I think nowhere have we seen more of this as clearly as religion versus as science as with COVID. Um, so maybe you can take us back through kind of your thought process uh, when you first heard about COVID and then when you first heard that vaccines were on the way, Operation Warp Speed, what was your thought process as you saw this unfolding in real time, as you saw uh, you know, a vaccine that was coming, that, you know, whereas everything else you were looking at was in the past, but this is actually, you got to see this happen kind of you know, live, so to speak. Well, I mean, one of the things you have to understand is by the time COVID got here, I had already been traveling the world. I had, I had traveled with Vax. I was traveling, giving talks on everything I was discovering about the vaccine program, a lot of what I just sort of related to you and a ton more information. Uh, but here's what had struck me in my investigations. I would say to audiences, and I could show you where I've said it to audiences before COVID was ever here. I was saying the pharmaceutical industry is the most powerful lobby in Washington. They are outspending oil and gas two to one. We fight wars in the Middle East for the oil and gas companies that are funding our politicians, funding our political system, funding our television um, and, and that the sort of what's happening on that square box in our house. And I would say to the audience, pharma is spending twice that. What do you think they're getting? If we will fight wars, unending wars for oil and gas, what do you think pharma is getting for that money? And I would say to the audience, I assure you, it is not these sort of laws being passed to 
forcibly vaccinate that remaining two to three percent of unvaccinated children. There's no money in that. They don't get their money back from that. I said they're coming for you. This is what I say to audiences. They're going to have a forced adult vaccine mandate. I had seen that in, uh, in on Health and Human Services website, they had something called Healthy People 2020, which was listed one of its goals, the complete and total vaccine uptake of every adult, meaning every adult is getting vaccinated with every necessary vaccine every single year by 2020. There's only one way you get that. That's by forcing the adults to do it because no adult is going out and thinking, I need an MMR vaccine, even though the CDC's adult schedule says you do. You need another Tdap vaccine. You need, you know, all of these are because they've all worn off and people don't realize that. The childhood vaccines didn't last a lifetime like they were planning on. So now they want to start vaccinating you for all the things your kid is being vaccinated for. You have 72 vaccines to catch up on yourself. Well, they knew that that would be a hard sell. And I said, I believe the only way they will pull this off by 2020 is they are going to have to have a pandemic. I am sure of it. There is going to be a pandemic of some sort that will scare us all into compliance in which they will tell us our only way out is vaccinations. Yes, I said this on stages and I video to prove it before the pandemic got here. And what lo and behold. So when the pandemic hit, where do you think I was at? I'm like, oh boy. Now, I'm not crazy. I thought, look, it maybe it's real. I wore a mask for about a week or two, trying to see, is it dangerous? You know, I'm all about being cautious. But as the data started coming in and as we started seeing what was really going on here, it became clear to me that this was nothing more than a bad cold. And frankly, one of the things we know for sure is that it was an illness of the elderly. Unlike almost every other sort of uh, vaccinating disease we think of that are illnesses of children, measles and mumps and rubella, children were not being affected by this at all. Anywhere in the world, not in China, not in the epicenter, not in Italy. It was all the elderly that were having it. So it was an elderly person's disease. And now Rochelle Walensky just pointed out last week, she finally admitted that 75% of the deaths from COVID in the United States of America happened to people that had four other comorbidities, meaning four chronic illnesses like diabetes, heart disease, cancer, COPD, four. 75% of the people that died were already dying. That means that in the overall death rate of COVID, as we know it internationally, the entire death rate of this illness, including, you know, all of the scams and frauds, I think that pushed those numbers up and all these people that were really on their deathbeds and they should have been said to have died of cancer or died of COPD, not COVID. With all of that inflation, we still only hit 0.27%. A quarter of 1% of those people that catch COVID will die, bolstered mostly by that 75% that have four other illnesses that were killing them anyway. Meaning, if you're healthy, if you're a healthy person, you literally have a 0.0% chance of dying when you catch it. And forget about the numbers if we include everybody that maybe was already immune or is never going to catch it because they're too healthy to catch it. Mm -hmm. And so... That's what we started discovering right away, that this was a scam, that they were inflating the numbers to try and scare everybody. And and of all the things I'll tell you, Mark, that was what caught me by surprise. I thought there would be a pandemic, but I thought the pandemic would be something like Ebola. And I knew we had Ebola vaccine in the works. We saw that test where they Don't give them ideas, Dell. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> like flying all over. No, I mean, this is, this is how they're going to work. And I'm sure uh, they already have these ideas. Yeah, yeah. 
But I don't know why they decided to go with this common cold. Um, it seems like maybe it was just an opportunistic moment. They thought it looks bad enough that we can really scare people. Uh, and then we'll ramp up a vaccine and we'll make it right in front of everybody, um, which was a tragic error. Nobody ever wanted to see how the sausage was made. They decided to do that in front of the public. And now the vaccine was rushed on the market. We're seeing deaths of athletes in the hundreds dropping face first in the field, clutching their hearts. Um, you know, we, we see children with myocarditis, swelling the heart, things we know are happening. CDC's admitted it. And now we're seeing that the vaccine cannot do anything against Omicron. Therefore, it is a total failure at stopping SARS-CoV-2. This vaccine program is a disaster. It's why I think now 50%, about 58% of Americans polled do not believe in this vaccine or this vaccine program any longer. This has been a catastrophic error by every health department in the world. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to walk away. I think they may even resort to martial law if they have to, to get all of us that were awake enough to recognize what's happening to comply. So I think we have darker days ahead. Going back to, to the coronavirus vaccine and the what can you tell us more about mRNA vaccine specifically? Because this is a very different kind of vaccine. Uh, I believe they've been trying to create just coronavirus vaccines in general for like 20 years, but have never really had one yep. that worked. Uh, so what can you tell us about the studies that have been done previously um, on MR, mRNA vaccines in general prior to this COVID vaccine? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, as you said, they uh, the rush to make an M, I mean, to make a coronavirus vaccine happened right after the original SARS coronavirus that really scared the world. Right. There's this virus popped up. Coronavirus was really it's a common cold. I mean, it's one of the rhinovirus, the coronavirus. They sit in the category of usually called a common cold. But it was true that the original SARS coronavirus in late 1990s, early 2000s, really scared everybody because it was incredibly deadly. Now, it didn't spread very far, maybe because we didn't try to vaccinate everyone on the world, but I'll get to that in a minute. It kind of killed itself off and died off. But all of these drug companies said, wow, if that ever happens again, it would be very lucrative and probably really smart to have a a coronavirus vaccine or spe specifically a SARS coronavirus vaccine. Remember, we had MERS, which was the Middle East version of the coronavirus that was really scary a few years after that. And so all these drug companies started trying to make a coronavirus vaccine. Here's what's shocking. And, and the reason I found this out is literally right when people in China were falling face forward and dying in the streets in these videos, I don't know if they were real, but we all saw these images coming out of China. We're like, what the hell is that? Well, right at the moment that was happening, one of my you know, investigators uh, uh, reached out and said, um, you know, there's an inside source that told me we've got to investigate antibody-dependent enhancement. That was the term, antibody-dependent enhancement. Look into antibody-dependent enhancement and the coronavirus vaccine trials. And so we did. And what we discovered, shockingly, is that every single animal trial of every attempt at a coronavirus vaccine had the same problem. It was called antibody-dependent enhancement. Sometimes it's called pathogenic priming or just disease enhancement. And here's what happened. They would take the vaccine, whichever one they were trialing, they would inject it into an animals, whether it was a rat, a macaque, monkey, cats. And then it looked like it was safe. Vaccine didn't kill the animal. So that's a good start, right? And then they would draw the blood after, you know, a, a week or two. And they found that it was producing lots of antibodies. They saw a lot of antibodies in the blood. So at that point, they were probably very excited. I'm sure there were scientists clinking some champagne glasses in the laboratory, dreaming of being billionaires and famous and historic. 
But then animal trials go one step further than human trials do. It's because of ethical reasons. It's called a challenge study where you actually give the animal the virus, in this case, pressurized um, and atomized the virus into their nose and pressure it into their lungs. And what they discovered to their shock, um, and even one of the world-renowned vaccine makers here, uh, Peter Hotez, very pro-vaccine, um, he said, paradoxically, he used the word paradoxically, what we discovered was instead of the antibodies neutralizing the virus and killing it, it appeared that these antibodies in every single attempt at this vaccine, not just one of them, in every one of them seemed to grab on, bind to the antibodies, and then help them into the cells. The enhancement, right? They enhanced the disease in the animal, which led to what was called a cytokine storm, which is your immune system having a total nuclear meltdown. Uh, TH2 immunopathology in the lungs, meaning difficulty breathing, organ failure in many of these trials, and ultimately death in many, many of these trials. But in every single circumstance, the animals got more sick that had gotten the vaccine than if they hadn't gotten the vaccine. So to be clear, it wasn't the vaccine that made them sick. The vaccine primed them so that when they came in contact with the virus, it helped the virus kill the host. Now, there was a history of this. There's something about upper respiratory illnesses where we've seen this history. There was an RSV vaccine program in the 1960s that had the same problem in the trials. They thought it was safe. They gave it to children. Um, then the children were fine. They're running around. But then when they actually came in contact with RSV, the vaccine helped it make all the children more sick. Several of the children died and they discontinued that vaccine immediately. They're only now attempting to try and make that again under the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. About two or three years ago, there was a dengue vaccine that did the same thing. It was released in the Philippines. It was said to be safe. Unfortunately, all these people got the vaccine, thousands of them. They were walking around like many people that got the COVID vaccine right now saying, I feel great, I'm safe, I'm fine. But then when they came in contact with dengue, when the season started, the mosquitoes came out, what should have been just like dysentery or maybe a bad fever turned into death for hundreds, maybe thousands of people died because the vaccine helped dengue kill the host. And so that vaccine was kicked out of the country. The health minister was fired. So this was the history, the entire history of every attempt at a coronavirus vaccine prior to Donald Trump saying, I want to warp speed this. Now, here comes a new player. I want to be clear. The mRNA vaccine technology was not amongst those that had been trialed over the 20 years that all had this deadly side effect. This was such a new technology that it was never trialed in any animals at all. Ah. In fact, the first trial participants, the first animal to ever be injected with mRNA vaccines was us. We became a part of the largest human and animal trial in the history of this technology. Here's how this technology works. Unlike all of those other approaches to vaccines that we're used to, which is you inject a little bit of an attenuated virus or a killed bacteria or something like that, it's made, it's sort of basically broken down so that it's not as virulent, so that when you inject it, it's there, your body, you know, your immune system discovers it, creates antibodies, remembers that light infection that you had, and therefore protects you for several years. Remember, no vaccine has ever been as effective as having a natural infection. 
Vaccines are attempting to mimic the natural infection experience. A child who catches measles as a child, uh, he ends up or she ends up having lifelong immunity. They can never catch measles again. That is not the case with the vaccine. There's already two MMR vaccines as children. They're talking about adding a third one in college because the vaccine's failing. And there's two more MMR vaccines you're supposed to be getting as an adult. They're on the adult schedule because they cannot achieve what natural immunity achieves. Now, all that being said, this new technology doesn't have a virus or a bacteria being injected into you. Instead, it's a message, an RNA, messenger, that's the M, messenger RNA. Essentially, your DNA will send your cells messages to create proteins or kill proteins or to look out for a certain disease that's in the body. It's an amazing system. In many ways, you know, if you believe in divine design and God, it's, it's so mind-blowingly complex how it works and fascinating. But this message goes to the cells. Well, this is what pharma did. They made a synthetic message that your cells believe is coming from your DNA, but it was a message made in a laboratory, almost like a computer code that is sent, is wrapped in a fatty lipid so your body won't recognize it, and it goes to your cells, and it essentially is a recipe to teach your cells how to become a virus manufacturing plant. So now instead of the virus coming from the outside in, your cells start creating this virus because they were taught to by this message. And the hope is that now that your cells are creating this virus, that your immune system will go, oh my God, I'm under attack from the inside out. Kill those cells, kill that virus, and there will be that immune response that creates antibodies that remember it. But think about this. This vaccine is turning your own cells into the enemy of your body. Your immune system is being taught that your cells are the enemy. If that, if that thinking in your immune system doesn't stop, that is literally the definition of autoimmune disease. So this vaccine is like nothing we've ever seen. And so, you know, I don't know where that's going to lead. There are, I've, I've done so many studies. If you watch my show, there's things that we now know that it could be causing cancer. I don't know if we have time to get into details. It is causing autoimmune disease. It's definitely causing blood clots and thrombocytopenia. It's definitely causing myocarditis, which is swelling of the hearts in our children at rates that are so incredibly alarming. It is, it is absolutely criminal that children are being told to get this vaccine. But lastly, when we think about that antibody-dependent enhancement, remember, every attempt at a coronavirus vaccine had essentially ended in potential death in the animal trials. So we thought, certainly, now that you're going to try and skip out of your trials early, remember, this vaccine did not get a long-term two- to five-year, I think it should have been 10-year, maybe multi-generation study since mRNA is messing with your DNA and how your cells work. We should have looked at multiple generations to make sure we haven't set a DNA problem that only occurs in our offspring. But nonetheless, we didn't get anywhere near that. We didn't get to the two years, the one year. We essentially, a couple of weeks in our phase three trial, after the second injection, decided we've seen enough information. They applied for an emergency use authorization, basically a right to try saying, we're not sure if it's safe, but we are so afraid of this virus, we're going to give everybody this vaccine early. Well, we thought certainly in the trials as short as they were, they must have ruled out antibody-dependent enhancement because there's no way the FDA is going to give a vaccine to people that could potentially kill them like the animal trials had, right? Well, what we were shocked to find is when we looked at the document for the emergency use authorization by the FDA, it literally addressed it. 
It said when it comes to vaccine enhanced disease, our trials were not capable of, of, you know, figuring out whether the vaccine is going to cause disease enhancement, especially potentially related to waning immunity in the future. And it goes on to say more studies, you know, could be done after licensure and authorization. The FDA is telling you we don't even plan on looking at this deadly side effect until after it's licensed and authorized, meaning until after hundreds of millions of Americans have injected this in their body, then and only then may they consider looking to see if it's going to have this deleterious effect that helps the virus kill the host. And now, you know, I don't know what to say. We are seeing death rates across the board. I just talked about it last week on the show. Um, there's a CEO of an insurance company in Indiana that in a uh, sort of a, a national call on video said, our numbers are showing that the death rate over the last year in, in all of those in our insurance program is up by 40%. We are seeing a 40% increase in death amongst 18 to 45 year olds. Wow. And he said, let me put that into perspective. When we have a once in a 200 year catastrophe, like an earthquake that opens up and a city falls into it, or a hurricane of a 200 year size or a flood, right? A massive, not a cent once in a century, a once in a 200 year event, insurance expects that the death rate will rise 10% under those circumstances. And now, based on whatever has gone on this pandemic, Death is up 40% all-cause mortality, not just from COVID, from all of these other issues like cancer, autoimmune disease, you know, a heart disease, heart attack. All of these things are now through the roof based on an insurance CEO that's having to pay for it. Something is going on, folks. Something is drastically, drastically wrong in a historic level. And if you've been watching The High Wire, it's not lost on you. We've been reporting on this scientific evidence, proof of the issues that these vaccines are causing, while the CDC and the FDA continues and the WHO to lie to the world just like they did about OxyContin. Well, Dell, obviously, um, this is a very sobering sort of a conversation here. And, 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 you know, based on a lot of what we talked about, things can seem really gloomy right now, especially with everything you've been talking about. Like they're going to start trying to get, you know, a full adult vaccination. We see many cities in the United States bringing in vaccine passports. Um, in many of those places, they're openly embraced and supported by the population. Uh, but I want to try to wind things up here as our time comes to a close okay. on a little bit of a positive note. So I, I'm just wondering, what do you see as do you see some light here? Do you see something that can, you know, can tell us that like there is some positive coming out of this and there is a way to turn this around? How can people really fight back against not just the propaganda based around vaccines, but around the actual, you know, the, the actual kind of shackles that are being put around people that are choosing to not take vaccines, whether it's through passports, whether it's through mandates and that sort of thing? What is the way out here? Well, you know, one of my favorite things that I hear as I still tour the nation, I was just in Utah this weekend speaking to a packed audience. And the people that come up to me always say the same thing. Dell, I really love the high wire in your show because it gives me hope. Mm. When everyone else seems gloom and doom and they're out there 
Um, you know, I, I leave the high wire and I feel like there's hope. And, and the truth is, is I know I just laid a lot of heavy information and I do it every week, but there truly is hope. I would not be here if I was not optimistic about the future, not just of the United States of America, but our species. But here's what we must know. We must know and recognize that we are under attack by a globalist agenda, a globalist system. I truly believe based on my investigations, not because of my political affiliation. I grew up a progressive liberal. I have been a loudmouth progressive liberal my whole life until I started investigating this issue. Now I consider myself politically marooned. But I will say this, I do not believe that the decisions being made for the United States of America right now are happening from within our borders. They're happening outside of our borders. One of the things we're really looking at is uh, Klaus Schwab um, and um, uh, and and his group the the ah it's expected what, what just the old great reset huh? yeah the, the great reset the world economic all of that forum, yeah. world world economic forum is is where our presidents over the last couple of years they've been meeting in Davos Switzerland well out of that have become several slogans the great reset there's a video they put out that basically celebrates that no one in the future world will own anything. Mm. Everyone will rent. We will not eat beef anymore. We'll be eating synthetic meat. And you'll be so happy. (laughs) And you'll be so incredibly happy. And shockingly, in this video, it says the United States of America will no longer be the leading superpower of the world. That will fall in the hands of a smaller group of nations. I think China is one of those that's really funding this thing. So this is a very, very scary time. Here's what I'm optimistic about. This coronavirus vaccine or, and this pandemic, I think, was that globalist system realizing that people were really starting to wake up. They were really starting to wake up. We were starting to see more and more parents starting to question vaccines. Why is it that so many of the kids in my child's class have asthma when no one in my class as a child had asthma? What is autism? I don't ever remember seeing it as a child, but now it seems to be everywhere. Everyone knows somebody with autism. Why was Rain Man a hit? When we all saw Rain Man, the movie, it was like, wow, that's a really weird thing. I've never seen it before. Now it's everywhere. And so all of these things had people waking up So I believe this pandemic jumped the gun. I think we know if you have done any research, Bill Bill Gates was staging sort of practice scenarios of a pandemic that was sweeping the world, even down to making everybody wear masks. I mean, all of it was documented by him. This is how we're going to do it. They were rehearsing this, but I think they jumped the gun. I do believe that they were hoping or waiting for maybe a, first of all, a more dangerous virus, but also one that they already had a vaccine ready to go so they could show the world how it worked and be successful. In in this situation, as I pointed out, the vaccine is just a total and complete failure. Three booster shots now being promoted here, four booster shots in the most vaccinated nations in the world like Israel, and still failing highest. Remember, now we're seeing some of the highest infection rates we have ever seen in this country after everyone, 70, 60% of people are vaccinated, you know, that makes no sense. Why during the vaccination are we now seeing the highest rates we've ever seen? So all of this to me is waking up people. I think there's a lot of people that are going to die, unfortunately, for multiple reasons. I think we're seeing a rise in cancer like we've never seen before. Heart attacks and heart diseases everywhere. These poor individuals that trusted the FDA and the CDC, and why shouldn't they? They should have been allowed. I'm not putting them down. But they have now injected something in their body that is doing some really crazy, dangerous stuff to the way their immune system is supposed to work. In fact, it's turning their immune system off. You just have to watch the high wire to understand what I'm talking about. But because of that, because so many of us are seeing our friends ending up in the hospital, 
seeing our friends dying right after vaccination, Bob Saget dying after bragging about getting the vaccine. Mm. So many stars that have done that. We saw that with Hank Aaron, go out, get your vaccine, and then he dies days after his own vaccine. This is an unfortunate situation, but it's waking us up at a time we really need to be woken up because there's an agenda at play, an agenda to be tracking every human being on this planet. This vaccine was only a delivery system for that you know, vaccine passport yes. that's supposed to be on your phone. And that vaccine passport's only the beginning. This thing can monitor all of your life signs. It knows your heart rate. It can, it can, it can beam back to your government, you know, what you're feeling, your emotional status, your mm. biorhythms. It's capable of doing all of that. If we're afraid enough to vote away our freedoms and let this track us, do you realize you could live in a world literally two years from now? Uh, if we allow this technology where if you're watching the president of the United States or perhaps you live in North Korea, let's say, and you're thinking this is a murderous, lying human being. I don't believe they have my interest in mind that all those biorhythms, your heart rates going up, your temperatures changing, your phone is beaming back to your government or your local police department. This guy doesn't like the president. This guy doesn't like the, the Fuhrer. This guy doesn't like the dictator running the country. That is what is that is what that technology already exists. I know it sounds crazy and I don't like to be a conspiracy theorist. I put out all the information that I put on the high wire. I send everyone that's on our newsletter all of the links to all the peer reviewed science. But this is where this is going. Make no mistake. We have a terrifying cabal that is happening between the technology industry and those billionaires and really almost trillionaires. We're hearing about the Bezos, the Elon Musk, the, you know, the Bill Gates. They've aligned with pharma to create this scenario where they're going to track us, track our medical records, inject us with whatever they see fit. And so lastly, let me just try to make this clear to anyone that may still be listening that thinks they're pro-vaccine. I have nothing against someone being pro-vaccine, but I want you to be smart. We are talking about having your government right now. Our Supreme Court is, is going to rule any second now on whether the government, the federal government, can force every employer to have to forcibly vaccinate their employees, especially of companies of 100 or more, whether that employee wants it or not. Essentially, the president of the United States wants the power to inject you with whatever they want. Now, I got into an argument with a friend of mine from high school that attacked me on Facebook when I was going back home. And he said, well, I'll pass, Dell, on your philosophy. You, you'll find that most of the kids that you grew up with believe in these vaccines. And I, and I wrote back to him and I said, look, I'm sure you're a good person. I'm sure that you're looking out just as I knew you to be a good guy when we were in high school. I think you think you're doing what's right. But let me make this clear. Obviously, you like Joe Biden and you want to give him the power to have a vaccine passport because you believe in this vaccine and you believe it be, should be forced on everyone you don't like that doesn't agree with you uh, and that doesn't want that vaccine. But make no mistake, I said, that power, once you hand it to Joe Biden, will be ceded over to whoever the next president is. And I'm sure because of what I've seen this guy write about, he hates Donald Trump. There's a chance Donald Trump could run again, I said to him. What happens if the power to inject you with whatever they want now falls in the hands of Donald Trump? And then Donald Trump decides to let one of his cronies make a vaccine and then say, no, I'm not going to test it for safety because it's an emergency that I've manufactured. And now all of you have to take a product that's never been through a safety study because I say so. I want you to think about that. Would you be worried then? And remember, we use vaccines to sterilize deer. 
So there are people out there that think Donald Trump, you know, was a racist, hated gays and bi's and lesbians or what have you. I don't happen to believe that any of that's true. But what it shows us is that we now live in a consciousness where we truly do believe as Americans that we could elect a bad actor, that it's possible that we could make a mistake and perhaps put a Hitler in office. Can you imagine handing Hitler the power to inject anybody he wants with whatever he wants? Whenever he wants and you, you know, and he hates blacks, all of a sudden blacks can't give birth. Why are they? They seem to be sterile. We don't know why. I don't know. We're all lined up for vaccines once a year. Could that have something to do with it? So I said to my friend, if you would be against a forced vaccine program being headed by, say, you know, Donald Trump or somebody even worse, like Mr. Hitler, if you would be against that, then you should be against it now. If, and so if you think you're against me, we need to stand together. I'm not trying to eradicate vaccines from this planet. I'm trying to take away what would be one of the most devastating weapons in the hands of a bad leader. And anyone that thinks I'm exaggerating, let's be perfectly clear. They'll say, well, he doesn't necessarily, he's not the one making us get vaccinated. Not true. The head of the CDC, not elected by us, elected by the president of the United States. The head of the FDA, not elected by us, elected by the president of the United States. So that bad actor has a power of all over all the health company, all the health um, um, sector that is making these decisions for you. We must hold on to our right to decide what goes into our body. If we let go of that right, we are no longer free citizens in the United States of America. We have been reduced to the same rights as a farm animal. Everybody should be aligned on this, whether you believe in vaccines or you don't. Go ahead. If you want to promote vaccines, go ahead and try and convince your neighbor. If you don't, these are the debates we need to be having. But don't hand this power to a leader of the United States of America, or we will have really, really big problems ahead and a weapon in the hands of a future bad actor that could never be stopped. I think people are waking up to that. That's why I think this is a beautiful moment. There's a lot of people. If the Supreme Court rules against us, there's a lot of people that will lose their jobs over this issue. And so to you, I say this. These may seem like dark times, but deep down, this is the birth pangs of a new nation. Mm. Just like our founding fathers had to stand for freedom, we need to get comfortable talking about medical freedom. We've got to start having these conversations with everyone we know. I was just in Boulder speaking to a packed audience, and afterwards, Boulder is one of the most vaccinated places in the world. You know, people came up to me and said, I had no idea there was this many people in the middle of Boulder that believed what I did. In fact, three different people said, this is my neighbor. I didn't know that my next door neighbor had the same philosophy I did about this vaccine. And I, and I thought, that's a shame. That's a shame that we are so afraid to speak that we don't know that people right next to us believe what we do. And frankly, those of you that are saying, Dell, how do I get a hold of your, your, your lawyer, Aaron Siri? I'm about to lose my job. Our lawyer can't fix that. You want to fix that? Start talking to every other employee in your business, because I assure you, the polling is showing us that somewhere between 30 to 50 percent of the people you're working with haven't gotten that vaccine and they do not want it. So you find out who they are. You start talking about your philosophy and then you walk up to your boss and say half of our company's walking out the door if you decide to try and force vaccinate any one of us. And then you have the power. That is what's happening. That is where this at. We are back to fighting 
for our rights, just like our founding fathers. And so instead of looking at this like a dark time, instead of, oh, woe is me, I can't believe this is really happening, why don't you buck up and recognize that you've been chosen? This is our time. We don't have to look back at these great stories about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. This is our time. We are the Thomas Paines of this time. We are the ones that are going to pass the truth one by one to another. Censorship is not going to shut us down. And someday out there in the future, I believe our grandchildren and our grandchildren's grandchildren will read their history books and they will read about us the greatest generation that ever lived that stood up against medical tyranny and the attempted takeover of the world by a small group of globalists that wanted to own us and to essentially put us in home prisons. We are going to win this, but we need to wake up and we need to fight. And that's not, I'm not saying take to the streets. I'm not talking about violence. Got to be careful about our words nowadays, you know? That's right. Yeah. If you simply start talking your truth and standing in your truth the same way our founding fathers weren't afraid to speak about freedom, if you get comfortable with talking about freedom, we win this and we build a brighter age. And so if you're about to lose your job, let me just say this lastly. I'm pretty sure most of you hate your job anyway. You have a dream of what you wanted to do maybe when your kids leave the house. Well, this is your opportunity. If your job is going to be taken away anyway, why don't you live and breathe into your dream? Instead of looking at this fire that's burning around us and being worried about it, pull out all the metal you have, melt it down, and make new girders to build new foundations for the world that you want to live in. This is our time. On the other side of this dark cloud, I believe, is some form of a promised land, a new awakening of smarter people that will never be fooled like this again. That is why I'm hopeful. And I hope I'll see you on the living, breathing, celebrating side of this incredible moment in history. Well, I plan to see you there too, Dell, and I I really appreciate you coming on. And I think that's a, that's a great way to wrap things up. Your passion obviously comes across, and I think it's safe to say you are a lion of your own right. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us. So, but before I let you go, why don't you just let everybody know all the best ways they can make sure they're following your work uh, as well as uh, you know checking out the High Wire. That's it. Just go to thehighwire h i g h wire dot com. Uh, please sign up to our, our email list right away. We don't share it with anybody. We don't advertise to you, but it allows us to share with you when we're breaking a story uh, and also all the evidence that I'm talking about. When I do my show on Thursday, on Monday, everyone on our newsletter receives for free every link to every scientific study that proves the points I'm making. My, my motto is I am not trying to tell you what to think. I'm trying to teach you how to think, where to find your information. I want you challenging me. I want you challenging everybody. I don't want you to trust anybody but yourself. The evidence should be in your hands. So go to thehighwire.com. We're live every Thursday. We do a show that breaks down every all the baloney you've heard in mainstream media uh, throughout the week. Every Thursday, we break it down. We get to the truth of the matter. Um, I'm going to be sitting down, you know, um, with some just world-renowned scientists as I have before uh, as this pandemic continues. There is no scientific consensus on this. In fact, the best scientists in the world are against how this pandemic's been handled and are against this vaccine. You want to know why? Go to thehighwire.com. All right. Well, Dell Bigtree, thank you so much for joining us today. Keep up the great work. And of course, I don't think I need to tell you. Keep on roaring. Thanks a lot, Dell. All right. We will. Take care. All right, kitties, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great 
Del Big Tree. He has been at the forefront of this vaccine issue and is currently at the forefront of the fight against COVID vaccine mandates, against the deception of the pharmaceutical industry, of their protection by the U.S. government. There is just no better source right now than Del Big Tree. So I highly want to encourage you to follow the High Wire. You can find that on Rumble. You can find this interview only on Odyssey. This will not be on YouTube. So if you enjoy the video versions of this show, Forget it. Don't bother with YouTube for this one. For obvious reasons, we're not going to be putting it up there. A couple other things I do want to mention. You could have seen, you could have heard this interview already if you were just one of our supporters, either on Locals at lionsofliberty.locals.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. For as little as five bucks a month, you get all sorts of bonus content, early access, live access to most of my interviews. You get Brian's show, Good Morning Fuckhead, every single day. You get Degenerate Gamblers, where the gang gets together and talks about sports and all sorts of other wild stories. And of course, Conspiracy Corner, where myself, Howie, Rico, and JB bat our ideas around about all sorts of conspiracies all this and actually much more over at patreon.com slash lions of liberty or for the patreon adverse lions of liberty.locals.com couple more things i want to mention that killer new track you heard at the top of the show was produced by my man john page of john page music i want you guys to check out what john is doing you can of course find him on spotify and really any and all music platforms but besides his music work john is actually designing or has designed a role-playing game that i want to mention to you guys because i'm not gonna lie i was a nerd too i'm still a little bit of a nerd Dungeons and Dragons was John's thing. I was more of a Magic the Gathering guy. Yes, I'm coming out right now to tell you that. Uh, but you can check out John's game. It is a tabletop role-playing game, much in the vein of a Dungeons and Dragons. It is called Project Full Blade. It is coming in 2022. You can check it out right now by heading over to projectfullblade.com. Of course, you can also find John on Twitter at J underscore V underscore P underscore music. It's a lot of underscores, but they are worth it because John is the effing man, as you can tell by this awesome new theme. One more thing. Don't forget, there's some other great podcasts out there. Lions of Liberty, we're doing great stuff. We have the network. We got myself with Mark Claire, with Mark Claire, Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire every Monday. Brian McWilliams is still cranking out Electric Liberty Land. He has his own feed for that, or you can find it right there on the network feed, as well as John with Finding Freedom, churning out great content. But if you're really looking for a daily news podcast delivered through that Liberty point of view, you really can't do better than our friends Nate and Charlie at Good Morning Liberty so be sure to check them out as well. Again, they still have the best URL of all time, BernieLies.com. Check out Good Morning Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. And if you're looking for a little more Mark Claire in your life, I want to highly recommend checking out an interview that dropped a couple weeks ago on my friend Mikkel Thorup's show, The Expat Money Show. Mikkel has not only become a great friend to me over the years, but uh, been a big help uh, in, in my journey, so to speak, uh, finding myself right here in Mexico, dealing with immigration on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border. And I get into a lot of that, including some, some personal stuff about how I met my wife here in Mexico, stuff I just don't normally talk about on podcasts. So I do highly encourage you to check out that is the expat money show. I will link to that episode in today's show notes as well. Until next week, my friends, I hope you've enjoyed this little relaunch of sorts of Lions of Liberty, a little more flair, a little more fire, a little more boldness. And well, I got a lot of surprises in store for you. Let's just put it that way. So until then, my friends, until next time, I encourage you to, of course, continue to always live long. And live free. And live free. And live free. And live free. And live free.